Hey, good job. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayishlach. I'm going to give three questions, and then after those three questions, I'm going to give some sort of basic yisod. The first question comes from this week's Haftorah and Avadya. Avadya is a really interesting character. He was this Edomite heir, and he was in the cabinet, probably some sort of economic advisor to Ahav during the times of Malachim. And we hear about him not necessarily directly, but we hear about him in Malachim Parak Dalit in regards to this wife, his wife probably, as the Mepharshim point out, this Isha Shunamit, who Elisha helps fill up jugs of oil. And the question there is, is this Isha Shunamit, she, it's a totally tangential story where Avadja's wife went into complete debt because Avadja spent a ton of money tons and tons and tons of money on supporting these Nevi'e Hashem because these Nevi'e Hashem were being killed by Yisevel and Ahav. So he supports these these Nevi'e Hashem with his own finances and he goes into extreme debt. When he dies, he leaves his wife in severe debt and the debtors are coming for her. And so she says to Elisha, you know, it's not so fair that my husband was protecting you guys, maybe even you personally, and now he has to suffer like this. So Alicia performs a miracle. He says, take one jug of oil, get tons of jugs from your neighbors and fill all these jugs up with oil. A miracle occurs and she basically fills up all of these jugs of oil with this one jug of oil and it's this great big miracle. The question in this story is like, why is Alicia, this Navi, probably the most powerful Navi at the time, for sure the most powerful Navi at the time, dealing with such a small matter of oil. And then why is that being included by the Navi? Like, who cares? That's really not a serious national story that you would think would be included in Navi. We're really only told about national stories that have real effect on national economic prosperity or just national fortitude in regards to religiosity with Hashem. But here, there's really no reason why we should have a story about some woman who went broke and, you know, her bot- her oil is being filled up by some sort of miracle here, some very small, minute miracle, actually. So the question really is, is why are we being included? Why is this story being included by the Navi? Question number two is... We're told that Yaakov goes back for his Kalim. He goes to the Yabok River. He has this whole fight with Esav. Now, whether you hold like the Rambam or the Ramban, that this story is supposed to be taken literally or figuratively. In the end of the day, he's going back for these Pachim. He's going back for these jugs, these tiny little nothings. And Rashi's kind of bothered by that. And he says, you know, Hashem gave him all of his possessions. And Yaakov therefore knows that all his possessions are God-given. And he values every possession that he receives. I find that answer, you know, hard to believe a little bit, but it makes sense. But nevertheless, it does show something about Sadiqa, maybe. We have this perception, maybe preconceived perception, that has been given to us by some of our Gedolim, Gedolim of previous generations, whatever it is. This preconceived notion that if you're a Tzaddik, you don't care about money. If you're a Tzaddik, you don't care about working. You just sit and learn all day. Now, if Yaakov is really this type of tzaddik that we have in our mind, uh, this really big gadol ador, you know, okay, so I left some small jugs on the other side of the river. Who cares? You know, I don't really care about material wealth or physicality or anything of that sort. I care about spirituality. I'm an ish ol. I'm a person that dwells in the ols. I'm not someone who really cares about you know, some Pachim Ketanim. So why is, why is Yaakov going back for these Pachim Ketanim is the real question.
And then finally, question number three. We're told in Nidarim, Andaf Lamed Ches, that Hashem is only Shorah Hishchina. Hishchina only rests on someone who is four types of character traits. Number one, he's an Anav, he's humble. That makes sense. Number two, he's a Chacham, he's extremely smart. Also, that makes sense. You gotta understand Hashem's Torah, His wisdom. You gotta be a Chacham. Now, the last two are a little bit perplexing. The last two are, you gotta be a Gibor. And, you know, I told this to one of my friends. He said, well, Gibor can be mean like, you know, you're your gover al yitzro, your your you conquer your yitzar hara, and that's actually not pshat in the gemara. The gemara says no, it actually means that you're actually strong, and it gives an example, and it says Moshe Rabbeinu was someone who Hashem was shorah hishchina, and he was able to pick up these massive two stone tablets. The guy was pretty jacked. Moshe was a really really strong guy, and we clearly see from there that gibor really does mean strong it means that you're extremely strong human being and gibor is a strong person and then the last quality that you have to have is someone who's an usher someone who's wealthy now this one really bothered me you know you're strong i get it maybe there's a certain perception that you give to the people of the strength of hashem some sort of idea there but you know rich usher he has to be an usher why does he have to be an usher i get humble you got to be humble you got to be a chacham you got to be smart you got to be gibor maybe i sort of understand usher you have to be rich what's going on here why do you have to be rich for hashem to be shore his shechina onto you and the gemara even says moshe Rabbeinu was extremely wealthy because when moshe Rabbeinu was chopping out the letters for the luchos there was a lot of extra sapphire left over and hashem basically gave him that sapphire and it derives that from a pasuk there I believe the value that we're learning here and the lesson that we're learning from all three questions, which I'll repeat right now quickly. Question number one was Alicia, which is why is the story of Alicia being included with Avadia's wife, the Shashun Amid, and filling up the oil? Really strange story there that she's going broke in the first place if her husband was really helping out these Nevi'e Hashem. Question number two we said was by Yaakov going back for these small jugs of oil you know, these tiny little jugs, who cares? He's a tzaddik, he shouldn't be really caring about these little small possessions of his. It seems very stingy, very frugal, not some sort of personality we see necessarily in a tzaddik. And then finally, point number three, question number three is, why do we have this Gemara Nidarim, Daf Lamed Ches, that says that for Hashem to be shor hishchina, you got to be rich. That's one of the four qualifications of Hashem being shor hishchina on you, is that you got to be rich. Why, why do you have to be rich? I believe to answer these three questions, we could answer and say that we may have a misplaced value in regards to our value of money. We oftentimes think of money as the evil Satan, this terrible component of greed that could completely eat someone alive. And you know, there is truth to that in a certain sense. But on the other hand, we have many Mishnayas and Gemaras telling us that Wealth really is a positive thing. Rebbe was one of the richest people who also had the value of Torah as well. He was the Nasi. And we see being wealthy is a value. Money is definitely a value we have in Judaism when paired with Torah, when paired with positive activities. We say in Pirkei Avos, Ein Kemach, Ein Torah. If you don't have flour, how are you going to learn? You need someone to support that Torah learning. You can't just have the mirror existing on its own without anyone supporting it. Who's going to feed those Talmidim? They're not going to go and work. They have to learn. You have to have someone supporting those people. And that's where, you know, these fundraisers come and all this value for money really does come up. On top of that, even if 
you think that money itself may not be the biggest value, even just working is a value we see in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah says, Im ein derech eretz, ein Torah. If there's no derech eretz, there's no Torah. Now many people misinterpret this and say, oh, derech eretz is referring to Midos. That's not what it's referring to according to Rabbeinu Yonah. Derech eretz is actually referring to a job. The job that you have in life for instance, if you're in computer science or you're, you have an MBA and you're working in some private equity company or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer, accountant, whatever it might be, that has to be paired with Torah. If you don't have a job, if you're just learning all day, that's not considered Torah. Now, that's not against any kolal guys or anyone who's learning full time, but the Mishnah does say you got you to gotta work as well as learn. There's a value in working as well. There's a value in having money paired with the Torah itself physicality paired with spirituality. Esav and Yaakov, as we read in last week's Parsha, and even this week's Parsha, I believe, had the potential to have a Yisachar Zavun relationship. Yaakov, he would start the mirror. And Esav, he would be the supporter to the mirror. He would give millions of dollars to that Torah foundation. In the end of the day, we see Yaakov actually has to take on the role of the money and the role of Torah. And maybe that's also the role we have to take on. It's in derech in Torah. You got to work sometimes and also pair that with the money. Yaakov was a shepherd. He was also a big Talmud Chacham. It came in a pair. Yisachar and Zavulin, the next generation, actually start a partnership, a business partnership, where Yisachar is going to learn. And we learn from Sanhedrin, I think, that many, many, many members of the Sanhedrin ended up coming from Yisachar because they were great Talmudic Chachamim. And Zavulin would support that Talmud Chacham pursuit of Yisachar and support them with all the financial needs that they need. I believe the conclusion that we come to now is that Avadya was someone who used that wealth, that economic prosperity that he had in Achav's cabinet to provide for the Neviyeh Hashem. Now, he used that wealth in probably the most amazing and yashar way you could possibly use money. Yet nevertheless, his wife ends up going into debt because Achav leaves her with a massive, massive balance to all these debtors. Elisha then performs this miracle, and that miracle is included in Navi, I believe because to show us the value of someone who uses his money, his wealth, for good. He used his wealth for such an unbelievable purpose, all of his money to the point where he dies in debt. The Navi now goes out of its way to show us what happens to his wife. His wife doesn't just stay in poverty, but rather we see that Elisha, the greatest person living at that time, goes and performs a minor miracle. That minor miracle is included in Navi because it wasn't just a minor miracle. It was a major miracle because it showed the value of money, not for the sake of greed, but rather for the sake of positive values, saving human lives, saving Nevi'e Hashem, saving the Torah. I was listening to Rabbi Leibowitz today and he mentioned that Yaakov may have actually had a misplaced value in money at this point in the Torah. Yaakov was dreaming about angels when he first leaves. And now he's dreaming about sheep, how to mate the different sheep. His last thought before going to bed at night was no longer finding a wife, creating a nation, maybe even Torah thoughts, but rather now it was about his business. It was about his wealth. What you think about right before you go to sleep at night, those thoughts that you have at night, those are part of your subconscious. Those are a major part of who you are. 
And Yaakov at this point, his subconscious wasn't Torah. It wasn't necessarily the angels anymore, but rather it was sheep. It was his wealth that he amassed at Lavan's house. Moshe Rabbeinu was wealthy. He was strong. He was humble. He was smart. And that's why Hashem was showing his Shekhinah onto Moshe. Wealth comes with a certain level of power, just like strength does. But it needs to be countered by the other two components of humility, anivas, and chacham, and how to actually use that money. If you're just strong, arrogant, and use your money for the wrong purposes, it creates an absolute monster. That's possibly who Lavan, maybe Esav was. We're not trying to create monsters. We're trying to create someone who's balanced with the physical and the spiritual, such as Moshe. The anivas, the chacham, the way in which to use that money, the things that you desire with that money and that gibor and that strength have to balance out that physicality. I believe that's what we're learning from this week's Parsha. The balance of the physical and the spiritual powers have to be equal. It can't be that one rules over the other in any way because it creates an imbalance and that imperfect imbalance could cause major rifts throughout history. But even on a more simple level, the value for money is an important value, but it must be balanced with that spiritual want, that want for good, that want to use that money, not just for its physical greedy purposes, but rather to actually elevate that wealth. As we see with Avadya, with Moshe Rabbeinu, and with Yaakov Avinu. Have a great Shabbos.